when these chiefs be harassed, and in a you foolish, but not the one who knew, but now is inside you, generous to the poor, clean for you, because you rule all the unhappy, but you neglect justice, it's the latter, because the most important and respectful greeting places, the yacht one of the experts in all the law antiques, you insult, expert to you, in heart, to the prophet, Build that too. Wisdom said, Prophets and apostles who have been shelled to the blood of Zechariah, which I tell you, this will be held at all. Woe, you have taken each, have not, and you have hindered those. When Jesus, the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely, the best way to say, Well, it is not lost on me that holding commencement ceremonies on Mother's Day can increase the anxiety of many of our parents. As we celebrate the influence that parents have upon their children, we just have that reminder that they're, they're leaving, they're moving on. And so I chose uh, this text. It's the next text moving through. But what I'm going to emphasize today, believing that there would be uh, lots of children present, is that when we move out from our mother's and father's care, we need to carefully choose who we allow to influence us. Because those who are out there trying to influence us may not always have our best interest at heart. They may not be as truthful as they think they are. See, graduation is not only a recognition of what has been accomplished, but it's a commencement that looks forward to how students will use the skills and the knowledge that they have acquired. As our children prepare to enter the military, to go off for more schooling, or to enter into the workforce, both mothers and fathers sense anxiety over the readiness of their child. What voices are going to continue to influence the one that God has entrusted to us to prepare for adulthood. And so as I look across this room and I see many mothers and grandmothers whose heart it has great compassion for their children, at the same time there's a burden of, I wonder what voices he or she will listen to when I'm not close. Because parents walk that thin line between empowering a child with the freedom to make adult choices while trying to provide the resource of their experience that hopefully the child will draw upon to choose wisely. See, the world is full of people who are convinced that they have the ability to influence you. 
Images that used to be managed by slick advertising companies are now giving way to a a new breed of, of what they call social media influencers. Those people on Instagram who their job is to receive endorsements to influence you to live, dress, act, and think a particular way. I've come to the conclusion that there is no family that our children need to keep up with. There is no athlete that our youth need to be like. Just because a person can throw a ball does not give him or her the right to influence your view of social justice. Just because an actor is paid to be on screen does not mean that he or she has the right to speak towards your politics or your worldview. We must be discernings and we must choose those that we allow to influence us. Jesus confronted two groups who thought that they were entitled to influence others. And Jesus makes eight statements to first teach You're not qualified to influence others. And secondly, these eight statements challenge, these eight challenges to these influencers is a warning to each of us. Consider who you are allowing to shape your behaviors and your values. Consider that the influencers may not be pointing you to God. Peers may impact us for good or for evil. Mentors may entice us towards that which is right or that which is wrong. Just because a person is in a position of leadership, like a boss or a manager or a teacher does not mean that that person is entitled to shape your ethics or your morality. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a verse that you may want to underline in your Bibles. It's one that my mother told me many, many times. If I got to stand in line with a microphone, what did you learn from your mom? Mom told me, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. We need to be careful about who we allow to influence us. And Jesus challenges the influencers. In today's text, we find clearly that Jesus challenges the assumptions of those who thought they had the right to change others. And as we go through these challenges, please ask yourself, Who am I allowing to shape me? Before you disregard the values imparted by your mother, and before you begin to follow hard after those who would try to mold you in a different way, step back and consider, what would God have me to do. 
I, I see in verses 37 and 38 of Luke chapter 11 that was uh, dramatized for us a few moments ago, that the, 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 the Pharisees and the lawyers had some awkward assumptions. They assumed that everybody else saw the world the same way they did. I, I, I'm curious, how many of you enjoy cinnamon toast? A few of us. Have you ever considered that there may be more than one way to make cinnamon toast? See, when I grew up, my mom, since this is Mother's Day, would lovingly toast the bread, liberally butter it, and then sprinkle cinnamon sugar on the toast. But my understanding of cinnamon toast was just like the Pharisees' understanding of ceremonial washing. There's one way to do this. There's only one way to do this, and everybody does it this way that I do it. But when I got married, I learned that there is a different way, hence even a better way, to make cinnamon toast. Because Anne taught me that you first butter the bread, then you sprinkle it with cinnamon sugar, then you put the sh that sweetness under the broiler, and then you toast the bread, which caramelizes the sugars and the butters. See, my mind was blowing. There's more than one way to make cinnamon toast. And maybe the way that I'm doing it may not be the right way or the best way. Well, I, I think that's a situation that we have in front of us. The Pharisees assume that everybody's going to do things their way. And Jesus says, wait a sec. There may be a better way to do what is in front of you. Because Jesus seemed to walk to a different drumbeat. The Pharisees assume that their way of doing things is the best or the only way of doing it. And we can all get caught in the same trap as the Pharisees when we assume that our way of viewing something is the only way to view it. Our society is changing all around us. We live in a society that's called pluralistic. Pluralism means that there are many different options. Tolerance says that I have no right to demand others to accept my position. There are many options. I've chosen my position, and I need to accept that other people make other choices. Secularism says, well, all options are morally equal. It doesn't matter how you choose because your choice is just as good as her choice is just as good as his choice. There's no better or worse. It's just all equal. But my friends, biblical Christianity prescribes a morality. The Bible tells us that some ways are better than other ways and just because your friends assume, well, of course this is what everybody thinks, perhaps we need to choose our influencer and we need to walk according to the Bible rather than the assumptions of our friends. Just one example. The Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. 
For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In other words, there are certain behaviors that should only be shared between a husband and a wife within the marriage relationship. That's what the Word of God teaches, Hebrews chapter 13. But there are people in this world, perhaps some of your friends, perhaps some of these ideas may have crept into your own mind, who think that the idea of abstinence until marriage is unimaginable. And they just assume that you believe the same thing they believe about premarital activity. Are we going to allow them to change our opinions? Or are we going to allow the Word of God to shape our opinions? See, worldviews have escalated so that to this day, you will be accused of hate or some ism if you hold to a morality that is different than their assumption. They assume that you ought to live this way. And if you choose to live differently, somehow now you're hateful or you're guilty of some ism. The assumptions that used to be common courtesy, such as men remove their hat when they're indoors, gentlemen offer a seat to a lady, youth offer a seat to an elder. God forbid that all people would stand when the Pledge of Allegiance is said or the National Anthem is played. And these things that used to be common assumptions are now simply held as relics of the past. I can't believe that you would think that we ought to do that. See, the the Pharisees had their idea of what should be normal, and Jesus says, I'm not going to do things the way you want. And just as Jesus was able, was, um, just as Jesus walked differently than the Pharisees, my friends, I'm challenging us today. We don't need to walk according to their assumptions. We need to allow the Word of God to shape our decisions. See, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was the one who was out of step with what was normal. They couldn't believe that he didn't ceremonially wash his hands before dinner. And let's not make any mistakes. This is not about getting the dirt off your hands. This was a ceremonial washing. How how many of you have have watched a, a program and after the doctor washes his hands, he walks into the operating room holding his hands up so that everybody knows that they've been cleaned. It's that type of a ceremonial washing that the, that the Pharisees thought Jesus ought to do as well. And this assumption that Jesus would do things their way just opens the door so that Jesus is about to show them the shortcomings of their assumptions. At first, he will give a description of what they are like, and he will give them three warnings. We begin in verses 39 through 1 of the description of what they are like. The description in the scripture of the Pharisees is that there is a disconnect between their actions and their attitudes. They looked good on the outside, but inside it was something despicable. 
I wonder, have you ever bitten into a mushy apple? You know, the color and the shape on the outside look perfect. The flesh seems firm to the touch. But that first bite is so mealy, you don't even want to swallow. See, there's a disconnect between how it looks on the outside and what it is on the inside. And Jesus says, Pharisees, that's you. You look good out there, but inside you're still filthy. Jesus describes the Pharisees as paying a lot of attention to what people see, but neglecting their hearts, their attitudes, their motives. And so after describing them as being disconnected between their attitudes and their actions, he begins with the first warning. And the first warning is that um, they do things right, but they don't do the right things. See, the rabbinic rules um, on tithing of your spices came hundreds of years after God instituted the tithe on Sinai. God says, honor me with your wealth. And over hundreds of years, it got manipulated and tweaked and and improved and changed so that the Pharisees had this fine, long, detailed list of exactly what spices do you have to tithe and what spices do you not have to tithe. And it had turned into this whole rigmarole that was far beyond what God ever intended. And so Jesus says, you're all worried about this, but you're not doing the better thing. See, what they're doing over here, tithing of their spices, does not rile him. But what they fail to practice and what they emphasize does rile Jesus. They omit the important matters while scoring well on the more trivial pursuits. They should tithe. But they should also be kind to their neighbor and to honor God. They do things right, but they don't do the right things. Now, I don't know if it really happens this way or not, but I've seen in movies when a lethal injection is administered to a criminal. The skin is sanitized and a sterile needle is always used. And I'm beginning to imagine, if a person is facing execution, infection from a dirty needle is probably pretty low on their list of concerns. But see, they do things right, even if it leads to the death of the person to be executed. And the Pharisees were the same way. They would do things right, even if it led to death but they didn't do the right things, which is to show the love and mercy. Because this is actually an allusion back to Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Remember what that says? He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And the Pharisees were not doing justice. They did not love kindness. And they were not walking humbly with God. 
See, Jesus, remember, he, he has just told the story of the Good Samaritan, which includes a Pharisee and a Levite who walked on by and they failed to show mercy. See, the problem isn't with the tithe. The problem is, is that they're neglecting to be merciful, and God is calling us to be merciful. And my friends, there are people who want to influence you, and they're going to say, you need to wear this, you need to use this kind of uh, perfume, you need to use this telephone, you need to wear this brand of tennis shoes, and they're all worried about doing um, things right. But are they challenging us to do the right things? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. He goes on and gives a second warning to the Pharisees. And the second warning is, these guys, they've got that attitude of, well, I'm going to get mine. And my friends, fame is fickle and selfishly seeking after recognition and applause of man will leave you empty. Last night, we held the 2021 baccalaureate uh, service in the high school auditorium. And most of you have been in the auditorium, so you may recall that there are two vertical aisles and there's one horizontal aisle halfway through the seating, which divides the auditorium into six sections. And of all of the seats that are available in all six sections, which fill first? You've got to get there at least an hour before a concert or before a play to get that one row of seats that's right behind the middle aisle. Because that's the only aisle in the entire place that has decent legroom. Am I right? And there are people who get there early and they mark out, this is my territory, I'm going to get this seat and I don't care about anybody else. And that's the same problem that the Pharisees had. I'm going to get mine, and I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to get the best seat. I'm going to get the prime location. And who cares about anybody else? And then he goes on and he gives them a third warning in verse 44. And the warning to these Pharisees, those who want to be influencing God's people, is simply this. You guys are planting landmines everywhere. He says, you're like unmarked graves. See, the, the picture of an unmarked grave is it may cause someone to unknowingly come into contact with the body. And such contact would then make that Jew unclean where they would not be able to participate in synagogue activities. And so what he says, what Jesus is saying here is, you've set up all these landmines just waiting to do a gotcha. Because you hope that they may fall into the trap and then you'll say, see what you did wrong. See, the Pharisees saw themselves as the paragon of purity. And in fact, they are the very leaders of spiritual uncleanness. It's their teaching that is leading people to spiritual death. And my friends, you will encounter people, you will encounter influences that run contrary to what your mama taught you. And their influence 
will lead to your death. See, the big picture that Jesus is painting for the Pharisees is that they're only concerned with themselves. And if the Pharisees are the modern-day equivalent of a politician today, the lawyer, in verse 45, would be their classmates from law school. And these classmates will say, Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You're throwing us under the bus when you talk about their shortcomings. And Jesus basically says, You deserve it. You too deserve to be painted with the broad brush. And so in verses 45 through 52, Jesus then gives this group of lawyers three warnings and a prediction. He begins in verse 46 with the warning. The warning is, is you heap burdens upon people, but you're unwilling to follow the rules yourself. You're unwilling to lift a finger to help with the burdens that you place on people. And to to help us to picture what Jesus is talking about here in verse 46, all you have to do is think about politicians who have been closing restaurants and salons, and then they book private events in those very restaurants, and they get their hair cut in those same salons. It's the arrogance of thinking, the rules don't apply to me. Have you ever seen people who park in the no parking spot? (laughs) Because they've got this idea that, well, that, that doesn't mean me. The problem with these lawyers is they heaped all sorts of burdens upon people, but they weren't willing to follow their very own rules. Now, let me move on before I'm accused of promoting politics, because I'll admit here, we can find it examples of this, the rules don't apply to me, we can find it from both parties on both sides of the aisle. That whole, do as I say, not as I do, and every mama here is thinking, I didn't raise you that way. I raised you to do what you say and to say what you do. In verses 47 through 48, then Jesus gives a warning to the lawyers. And the the warning number two is this. You guys are trying to rewrite history, and you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history. He says, your forefathers um, killed the prophets, and you have made them into heroes. Not the prophets, your forefathers. And you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of history if you try to rewrite what happened in verses 47 and 48. See, the point is is that the spirit that caused their ancestors to slay the prophets was still working with them. And the way that they rejected Jesus is just proof that they have the same spirit working in them that was at work in their forefathers. Jesus is essentially saying that the the current generation is simply finishing the job that the previous generation started. Then in verses 49 through 51, Jesus makes a prediction. The prediction is um, that you are going to continue to do what the generation before you did. 
And we read here, beginning in verse 49, and we read about from Abel to Zechariah. And we're thinking, well, what Jesus is saying is from A to Z, thoroughly you do this. But the problem is, is the letter Z in the Hebrew alphabet is not the last letter of the alphabet. It's only the sixth letter of the alphabet. So it would be like us saying, from, from Adam to Fred, you've killed all the prophets. And we're thinking, well, why did he stop at Fred? Isn't there the rest of the alphabet? See, what's happening is Jesus is not being alphabetically inclusive. He's being chronologically inclusive. Because pay attention to this. Where do we read about Abel's death? Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, the very first book of the Bible. And if you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 22, we read about a man called Zechariah who was killed. Now for us, 2 Chronicles is in the middle of our Old Testament. But to the Hebrew Bible, to the Bible that Jesus had, 2 Chronicles was the last book of the Bible. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, if you go to the first book of the Bible, we see your people killing the righteous man. If we go to the last book of our Bible, what do we see? We see the people killing a righteous man. And so this Abel to Zechariah is a lesson for us from beginning to end. We're still doing what the generation before us did. Jesus is predicting that history is going to repeat itself. And the book of Acts will detail the Jewish response to Peter, to John, to Stephen, to James, to the church at large, and finally to the mission of Paul. Seems like Jesus was on to something as these people repeated what had happened before. And then the text concludes in verse 52 with that third warning. The third warning is that you guys are undermining truth. You need to be warned that when you undermine truth, bad things happen. Because the Pharisees failed to act on the truth, And then they began to convince others that the truth cannot be trusted. How many of you have heard the phrase, fake news? How many of you heard about the fact checkers? And it's because we're living in an era where we don't know what can be believed. And people choose, I'm either going to accept or disregard this body of evidence, and I'm going to do my best to make sure other people view it the same way that I do. The the final charge that is found in the last woe to the scribes is that they are obstacles to other people knowing God. Rather than supplying the key to knowledge, they take it away. And young people, you will go off to college and you will have classmates, you will have sorority mates, fraternity mates, you will have friends who have rejected the truth and they will make it their task to prompt you to reject the truth as well. So Jesus says to the lawyers, woe to you. It's bad enough if you don't accept the truth. 
but you've taken the key to understanding away from others as well, trying to get them to follow a lie. The accusation in verse 52 is that they refused to accept Jesus was the Messiah, and now they are making it difficult for other people to trust him as the Messiah. So we've seen eight statements. Eight statements. Six warnings, a prediction, a description that says be careful about those who you allow to influence you. Let me wrap it up with these three statements. The first is, today's text reminds us that there are people out there who assume that they are right and that you are wrong if you don't surrender to their ways. It reminds us that we need to be willing to swim against the stream. Maybe we need to be a little bit more like Forrest Gump. And remember, Mama always said, Secondly, Today's text reminds us that allowing yourself to be squeezed into their mold does not make you more like God intends. God has a plan for you, and that plan is not to be squeezed into their mold, but to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And finally, today's text reminds us to choose carefully those that we allow to shape our morality. For many of us, godly mothers deserve a hug and a thank you for the way that they have pointed us to God. And so we conclude this morning... Hopefully, you're not guilty of any of the six woes, the description or the prediction. Hopefully, you are allowing godly people to influence you as you move towards Christ. Because our prayer ought to be that we would be more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world around us. So that's why we're going to sing together our final 